I'm Jay Moran. I'm Bridget J. Paul Valenza. I'm Thomas O'Neill White. I'm Angelie Preston. And I'm Lorenzo Rodriguez. This is What's Next. A dedicated hour to have important conversations about the issues facing the marginalized and underrepresented communities of Western New York and Southern Ontario. We're going to have some real healing. We've got to have space to tell some uncomfortable truth. What's Next continues our mission to discuss race, equity, and the common concerns of Buffalo's East Side and beyond. In the suburban area everywhere, we must work and teach our children. Good morning and welcome to What's Next. This is Lorenzo Rodriguez. And on today's show, we're going to cover a condition, a situation that still for many, many decades has had a stranglehold on the American population. And that is the the topic of tobacco use and nicotine dependency. Today, I'm joined by Dr. Andrew Hyland and Herman. Dr. Andrew, you are the director of the New York State Smokers Quit Line. It's part of the Roswell Park Comprehensive Cancer Center. And Herman, you are a p- participant of this program. Yes. Uh, gentlemen, thank you so much for joining me today on, on What's Next. Absolutely. Thank you. And as I mentioned, tobacco use, uh, nicotine, just one of the leading causes of death and, and preventable disease in our country. Smoking-related diseases include lung cancer, chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, COPD, and heart disease. Three, three things to not take lightly. And the New York State Smokers Quit Line is helping to hopefully curb the, the, the dependency on nicotine and hopefully get participants to just quit and, and give up this, this, for lack of a better phrase, a deadly vice. Yes. Andrew, can you give us just a, a, a history of, of the New York State Smokers Quit Line, your involvement, how it started, what what you all do? Yeah, well, the uh, so the uh, the quit line in its current form started in 2000 um, at Roswell Park. Uh, we've we've uh, provided that service since that time. Actually, there were nuggets of it even earlier. There was a national cancer information service. Uh, you know, there was the National Cancer Act in the 70s, and uh, you know, we should educate people about cancer. One of those things was. Uh, 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 talking about smoking, and Roswell Park had a role in that. Eventually, that morphed into a statewide effort and started off in uh, a sort of a satellite office over in one of the buildings at Roswell Park. Probably not too much bigger than this studio, which isn't very big <laughs> for those Giving away our, our, our not-so-spacious uh, digs here. Uh, and... And what we realized is the demand was insatiable. There were lots of people out there throughout the state that were looking for help. Uh, so it was initially t- telephone services. People would call. We would A lot of it was referral, just sending them mm-hmm. information about local clinics. Was uh, it physicians that, was, that would, would refer uh, patients or, or yeah. participants, or was it family members? Uh, so in terms of coming to the quit line, uh, those early days, uh, it was uh, the press release, word mm-hmm. of mouth uh, kinds of things. And, and then into the later part of the two, the first decade of, of this century, uh, the state began to run some uh, public education efforts uh, to try to 
help people quit, encourage people to quit, you know, when they're ready. And uh, that really took off. We saw like tens of thousands of people coming to us. There was one moment when New York City adopted its smoke-free policy where you couldn't smoke in workplaces mm -hmm. or restaurants anymore. Uh, we were 400,000 phone calls in one, one week. There was a, a program that gave away free uh, nicotine patches uh, in, in New York City. And uh, so we learned a lot from that. We learned that demand was insatiable and we learned that there was lots of interest in uh, these stop smoking medications, which is something to this day, New York State is known as uh, like the go-to resource for how you implement something like that. In total, over those you know 23 years now, more than 2 million people have called us uh, wow. or texted us. Uh, for help with their stop smoking effort. Um, currently, we we help about 30,000 people a year. Uh, and, uh, you know, our services are evolving and adapting uh, with the times, uh, ultimately to try to help people, give them the nudge that they need. When they come to us, uh, They most people have already made the decision that it's time to quit. So we just want to uh, provide them with some encouragement, with some evidence-based uh, strategies to help them get through some rough patches along the way because it's not easy, but it's doable. Mm -hmm. Lots of things in life are not easy, but, but mm -hmm. you do them because of the, the, greater, you know, the greater good. So right now we have uh, uh, telephonic services. People can call us. Uh, we can get you that information here, one eight six six ny quits It's a phone number. You can go to the website nysmokefree.com, lots of information um, there. We have a text messaging program, um, Learn to Quit New York, uh, and uh, you can you check that program out. And I know Herman's got a, a great story to tell about his experience there. We have chat features as well if you're looking uh, to, to utilize that. So we try to meet people in, you know, where they are in the format that they're looking for. We find telephone tends to be a little bit older. We find uh, text messaging a little bit younger, but there's lots of people doing, doing each. And again, we get about 100 people a day that are, that are you know, the phones are ringing and, uh, or the, the websites are humming, you know, along the way, so. Those numbers are both impressive that, that you're helping that, that great deal of, of folks, but also, alarming uh that we're still seeing this i mean i think it was 1964 that the surgeon general put out his report that hey this is this is not good for our health yeah uh, and mm -hmm. since then we've been working i think <laughs> baby steps little by little uh trying to trying to get to a, a, a better place when it comes to that back and forth with tobacco companies and how they how they do their business you mentioned the text line learn to quit new york it's a six-week text messaging program uh, I think from the, our initial conversation, very popular among the 25 and 44 year olds, but that's a tool that Herman, you for that, that's what helped you in, in this, in this process, right? Correct. So it, it, not just, not for the youngins, it's, it's for, it's for all ages. Yeah. And, and Herman, your story, I, I, I start off by asking, how did you first get introduced to smoking and, and when did you know that, that there was a need to, to start curbing it? Okay. I started smoking in the year of 1970, under a stressful uh, situation. Most of the people I was involved with at that time uh, smoked cigarettes. And me, because of peer, not peer pressure, but just wanting to be like 
everyone else be cool, I started smoking. I was in Canada at the time. Then when I came back to Buffalo, I still uh, had the urge to smoke. And I was always under the impression that smoking relieves stress, fills in the blanks while you don't have, or if you're involved in something, and to, uh, you, you light up a cigarette to continue that continuity. Gives you a little, you, little kick. Yes, yes. For me, it's I'm I'm, I'm Cuban, so caffeine is 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 the one that I have to yeah. I have to monitor. But yeah, yeah it gives abs- you that. Absolutely, and you reach a dependency or, uh, like you say, uh, an addiction to cigarettes. You know, uh, it tends to fill that void from whatever circumstance. A lot of people do it for various reasons, but when we were first, when I was first starting smoking, I never looked at the ills of smoking, how hazardous it could be to me. Mm-hmm. Okay, and I've seen people I've, uh, that had COPD, had got cancer. And I saw the repercussions of smoking, but however, at that time, I never thought it would happen to me. That was just something that happened, okay? Uh, and this, this periodically through whatever situation I was, I was in, periodically I would smoke, whether it be a happy hour, whether it be an occasion I'm talking to someone on the phone, whether it be a situation I'm trying to resolve, okay? I always uh, depended on subconsciously, always dependent on that cigarette to make me feel better, okay? And, okay, when I, became, when I got in my 30s, uh, mid-30s, I realized that this wasn't the thing to do because of some of the people I was associating with, they didn't smoke. However, that was short-lived because I went right back to smoking regardless of what the occasion is, or sometimes the occasion did dictate to me to take a uh, light a cigarette. Then, probably my 40s to 50s, I cut down on my smoking, but I realized that it was, I had an operation not related to smoking, but I went to Roswell, uh, the hospital to have a thoracic surgery. But then I was in a room with a guy that was a cigarette smoker, but I don't know if this, his ailment was was uh, caused by smoking, but he had a lot of lesions on his back. Mm. And then I was an eye-opener where I kind of related to his situation with smoking, uh, plus my doctors, every time I would go to the doctor, they would always ask me, did I smoke? And then they would say, no, you can't do this because you, but they said, well, maybe if you don't smoke that much, uh, it, it won't bother you, but cut down, try to get, cut down, try to leave the smoking alone. So this, this, this resonated, but I always, I, I, I never, I, don't, I can't remember the guy, the gentleman's name, but I remember his condition and how he was suffering. And I just attributed that to smoking. But it didn't penetrate until maybe 20 years later. <laughs> now, I, could, I realized some 
after effects of smoking, coughing, things, uh, particles getting caught in my throat that I'm eating. When I perspire or when I take off my clothes, I can smell the smoke in it. I would always, after eating, require a cigarette. And those things to me uh, was something that I acquired, this habit I acquired, but I wasn't born with that. So I said, I can't leave this alone. At my age now, it's really, I know smoking is detrimental. And a lot of things, a lot of times I, always, I, I would ask myself when I have take a cigarette, when I was smoking, and I would say, if something does result from this, like cancer or loss of limb or anything that, that bad can happen, would I ask myself, I would ask myself, was this worth it? And then the more I would say those things and repeat those things, it kind of kind of quilled my my appetite to smoke. And then the people that I'm with now, my church people, members, uh, my daughter, close friends, neither of them smoke. Most of them have overcome smoking, and. That really, that helps me because nothing in life is easy. And I kind of think of this, every time I do have an urge to smoke, it's going to be hard, but you've overcame everything else, you can overcome the smoking. And I, to be perfectly honest with you, I haven't smoked a cigarette probably in three months, but I still have that, that subconscious <laughs> subliminal message, oh, you mm -hmm. need a cigarette. But then I know that it's no good for me. I know that people have suffered as a result of, of constantly smoking. And I know that with willpower, strength, resources, like I'm getting from New York Quitline, uh, my church members, my prayer, my daughter, my family, I can overcome this, okay? I never want to get to a point where I'm relaxed and feel like I never will smoke again, but I know deep down inside I will never smoke again because I will never let any problem drive me back to smoking. Because whatever problem I have, smoking would be just a temporary psychological fix, but the problem of smoking, cancer, can't be reversed. So... That, that's where I am today. But I can tell you something, like the, the survey I took, the New York State Court line, they always gave me encouragement not to smoke, gave me tools to use to help me in times of maybe weakness or use these tools so you won't enter that time of weakness. And that's been a tremendous help. And all the things that I've learned from smoking clit line, heard, learned from, I'm, I'm hearing from people that have overcome the smoking habit. I knew, I've heard a lot of these things in the past, but I didn't pay attention to. But I think one of the biggest things, oh, plus the ads on TV, mm -hmm. where these people are, 
deformed, had cancer in certain parts of the body, or they had the ill effects of cancer. Those things, those people I've always seen prior to this time, I never really paid attention to it. Oh, that's just an ad. But now, for thank God, for some reason, it's it's penetrating my thought process. This could, this could be you, not the process. I the thoughts I had before. Oh, it couldn't be me. But now I say it could be me. And why not? Why you know? Why not quit? It's an amazing story, Herman, and I'm 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 thankful you shared it with us. Um, what were some of those tools that really hammered the point home from the from the, you mentioned the, the text line? What was it? There's there's that moment that that because you don't think about it when you're in it. Sure. But then there's that that you mentioned the, the patient that you were next to at Roswell. You saw the, the immediate effects, and then eventually just something something. A light bulb went on. Yes. What What were some of those tools that that, that caused that to really sure? It was a culmination of things. Plus, it, it, over time period, it seemed like I got it, but I couldn't put, I couldn't connect all the all the the the, the things that that affected me later on positively. Positively, but okay. One of the tools. Um, um, the breathing technique, mm-hmm. the meditation, uh, the talking with other people uh, that overcame smoking, the the, the, the having the, the courage to to tell people that you were weak at, at particular times. When if you do, I don't say relapse or go back to smoking, don't beat yourself up. Don't feel like oh well, I can't stop. And just give up, and then go back to the same old bad habits. And just hope. If you really want to do something, like like one of one of the things in my survey, uh, when I talked to an individual, they said, if you really want to succeed in life, you have to make an effort to do it on your own. Don't depend on someone else to do it for you. Depend mm-hmm. on people to help you. But it's all it's ultimately up to you because there's no excuse. You can't tell. You can't blame anything on anybody else, but once you deal with with it yourself, it's a problem, and you know the the ill effects, the the the, the, the negativity of what you're involved in. Once you know those facts, then that's when you have to make up your mind to become determined to 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 accomplish what you set out to accomplish. It's a like I said up off off the top of the show, it's a prevalent issue that I mean we've been battling this for decades in this country, and I think one, each of us here have some immediate connection. I, I personally, one I, I I was amazed that <clears throat> I was amazed that in our newsroom just how many of us, uh, somewhat thirties forties in age, at one point or another had that social urge to to, to smoke. You mentioned that was almost the start of it socially and then uh for me personally uh also at one point a a social smoke smoker didn't get that didn't devolve it didn't evolve into into anything further but my father my father at in his late 30s was a two packs and two and a half packs a day smoker and 
got hit in in the chest while he was working in in a, in a, a manufacturing plant in South Florida. Uh, shortness of breath, went to the hospital. Doctor told him and my mother, "You're practically you got emphysema," mm. and it was that moment that that. That, that that he quit cold turkey, thankfully, sure. for, for all our sakes. Um, but it but some folks don't don't get to that that realization until it's unfortunately too late. Um, I, I'm 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 fortunate, for, I'm thankful for in your sake that that sure. it didn't get to any extreme case like that. But right. for many others, it's not that case. You mentioned the commercials, the PSAs. I I mean I've been. Since I've been, I I was a I was a uh, a participant of the Dare program. That was a huge program. I mean, that was also uh, initiative towards drugs and other other uh, uh, addictive substances. But uh, the same thing. It was, it was truth, uh, mm-hmm. uh, SWAT, uh, all these all these initiatives, and yet it's such a factor still to, in today's world, which is super unfortunate. It's great that that Roswell Park is doing this initiative because I, I feel like. We we have other stories such as Herman success stories that are that are that come out of this program. You mentioned thirty thousand a year. Yeah, well, I mean, Herman, you're, thanks for sharing yes. your story. I mean, it's just Very an amazing story. And for me, I'm getting like you know tingly because it's just it's everything we could hope for in, mm-hmm. a, in an outcome. And there's a hundred stories like yours yeah. every day, and that's just in New York State. Mm-hmm. And then there's 50 states, and then you see globally where this is going to, where the companies, while well, cigarette smoking is going in in the downward direction, yeah, in the right yeah. direction for health, here it's still, uh, you know, a massive global scale. So there's lots of work to do, and it's you know it's all hands on deck really to try to work through the public education and try to you know tell people because some people you know don't realize or maybe in your story Herman it was you, you sort of realized it but you didn't though sure, it sure. took it took time for right, you to, right. to come to it and I think a lot of people when they when they make the decision to quit it is that that process You're like oh I could quit any time or yeah. I'll quit uh, you know I'll quit when I'm 30 or I'll quit when I have kids or I'll quit you know, whenever, and uh, um, it just have to kind of come to it. But from a health standpoint, it's there's a there's a media campaign. It's called "Every Cigarette mm-hmm. Is Doing You Damage," sure, sure. and that is the case for each one. So quitting now gives you the most benefit, but quitting at any time, you know, when when you're ready and trying to. Most people uh, want to quit. Ninety percent of people who use cigarettes regret having started. And it's, so it's just a matter of trying to work to to get that to come out, and then make those efforts. I loved how you put, put putting yourself out there and say, you know, I'm I'm ready to quit, and it, it use the term courage, you know, because it does to say, yes. hey, you know, I, I I have a problem, and I, I I could use everyone around me to give me a little bit of a boost. It takes courage to do that. That's an Absolutely. important part for a lot right. of people. In just a second, I'd like to talk about some of the tactics that that the targeted marketing that's employed when it comes to marginalized communities and people of color uh, with, with nicotine products. But we'll have that conversation when we come back from this break on what's next. We here at Buffalo Toronto Public Media love culture, art, and our community. So we had to jump in when offered the chance to be part of the inaugural Fig Fashion event. 
This evening of Fearless Fashion on September 30th at Seneca One will empower local designers and creators and provide an annual platform for the community to engage with Buffalo's burgeoning fashion industry. Visit figbuffalo.com for more information about the event and the designers. And keep listening to WBFO for opportunities to get to know them better. You're listening to What's Next, our place to discuss the important issues of our communities of Western New York and Southern Ontario. We want to hear from you. Click on the Talk to Us option in the WBFO app, and we will work to get your questions or comments on the air. Do you have a story or concern that we should be addressing? Email us using what's next at WBFO.org. Together, we'll have the conversations that are needed. This is WBFO, your NPR station. We're back on What's Next. I'm Lorenzo Rodriguez, and I'm speaking with Herman, one of the participants and, and successful participants in the New York State Smokers Quit Line. I'm also speaking with Dr. Andrew Hyland. He's the director of said Quit Line, but also the chair of the Department of Health Behavior. Uh, he has more than 25 years of experience doing tobacco control research. Um, you've been widely recognized at, for this, this specific expertise. Uh, you've had advisory roles with the Food and Drug Administration, the CDC, the National Cancer Institute, and even you were even a deputy editor for the scientific journal Tobacco Control, the leading, leading resource for tobacco control scientists. Dr. Hyland, you deal with participants such as Herman, and you also see younger individuals. Uh, I think as now we're seeing, what I'm seeing is the big push for uh, uh, vape, vaping, and and flavor and flavors being in, in, in put into into nicotine, is it the is it the is it flavoring? Is it the additives, which in in themselves are just incredibly toxic and and, and lethal? That's that's really where because nicotine has its 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 uh, detrimental effects, but it's all everything else that comes with it that these companies are putting into it. Uh, yes, yeah, absolutely. So there's a cu couple of points here. With regard to cigarettes and combusted products, it really is those, the toxins come from that the burning process. So that's like, you know, the, the dirt, you know, you see the smoke, that's mm -hmm. dirt, basically, that's coming from the combustion process. So the nicotine is what keeps you going back to that dirty well. Mm -hmm. And uh, so nicotine itself probably isn't... Uh, uh, harmful in of itself but it, again to the extent that it keeps you dependent and going back to those cigarettes so the, uh, the the other components if they're additives or flavors any that that's just kind of marginal around the edges i think in terms of actual health risks um, you know with cigarettes the flavored product that is is menthol cigarettes mm -hmm. and, and herman i think that's sure. uh, you had used menthol cigarettes th yes. throughout and you know that we see that through the industry marketing where they use it as a tool to make things seem clean and fresh and i i know in many african-american cool. communities that's that's that yes yeah, sort of use that well exactly see so, yeah, the cool that's that's like not an accident mm. <laughs> how that how that's done so so there's that component that these you know you can have harm not just by something itself being inherently harmful but if it's used as a as a, a, a marketing tool to get people hooked 
Um, we also see people who use menthol have a harder time quitting. Um, and uh, so there's just, you know, there's tailwinds and headwinds uh, on this. So in terms of the flavors, combusted products, uh, cigarettes, are when you burn it, that's where the harm is, and the flavors kind of sweeten the poison um, to a certain degree. With vaping products, it's a different, it, it's, there's similarities, but it, it is somewhat different. Vaping, you're not combusting, so you're not getting mm -hmm. as many toxins, so, but they're not toxin-free. Right. Um, we do see, uh, we, we help people who are vaping if they're looking to get uh, off of vaping. You can get hooked on vaping just like you can get hooked on cigarettes. And we see, especially in the last like three or four years, a lot more people that are who like try vaping are progressing on to like daily use. Uh, the products themselves are changing over time. Um, the quit line does offer the same the same services that are tailored to the product. So if you're using other products than cigarettes, um, the quit line is a resource uh, to go to if you're looking to try to free yourself of that of that dependence. Mm. And I'm, I'm glad you brought up menthol because I want to get into into the disparities uh, between the racial disparities between white smokers and minority or primarily black smokers. Um, Herman, you, you, I saw you nodding your head. You're a person of color. Was menthol your 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 go to kind of kind of cigarette? Absolutely. I, I prefer it to menthol as opposed to regular cigarettes. There was a there was a saying that you back in the mid seventies it would say cools or menthol cigarette cigarettes crystallizes your lungs. Now I don't know how truthful that was. However, <laughs> it didn't come over well, but still it, it just it had no bearing on the choice of cigarette you wanted. I can't, the reason for me smoking, because I enjoyed it. Mm. Uh, another reason, uh, it was cool. That's it the feel, other one, like, we've been, we've been programmed since yes. like, days of yeah. John Wayne, and, <laughs> yes. and, 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 I mean, I, I worried about when Mad Men was, was a big thing, because that made, <laughs> right. I mean, that was a cool show, but, but uh -huh. you would see them and just, and you'd say, what, what, what were we doing back then in, right, in, that, right. in that era? Absolutely. Um, and we just been, that's been, that's been kind of slowly, like, subvertly sprinkled into our pop culture in one way or another. And, and you wonder uh, how much of, how much of an effect that has had on, 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 on folks like yourself, on my, on myself, because I, like I said, I, I dabbled and. And you wonder just how much uh, the the tobacco industries have really—they know what they're doing. Absolutely. And then one of the things when I was encouraged to stop smoking, and you mentioned vaping, because they sold idea or just information I got. This this was better than smoking. This is an alternative to smoking in a healthier way. But come to find out, as you're saying, it's just as detrimental to your body. As smoking, I don't know how the information gets out. Like, like you say, from this tobacco company, the vaping companies. But I was really surprised that there's legislation being passed where you're gonna, and you're talking about upcoming legislation about the 
the, the menthol cigarette. Uh, one thing that concerns me is our legislator uh, and the lobbyists. Yep. You know, the lobbyists, they, they'll pay the votes, pay for votes or pay for non-votes. And, and I think this country is probably is taking the right, in the right direction. But there's a lot more has to be done. Thank you, Dr. Holland, for mm -hmm. your good efforts. And, and uh, Tony, you know, mm -hmm. I really appreciate it. And all you guys that, that, that from the people that I don't know, that are involved from Roswell. I give them credit for continuously putting out the word, showing that smoking is detrimental to your body. And then we have to grasp that and look at it. And when you're saying one more thing, but when you're saying that when you when people get this information, and when I got the information you know, how harmful smoking is to people, I said, oh, it never happened to me. And I never, I never would have even paid attention to that until it comes close to me. Someone that I know that that receives the offshoot of bad things, the result from smoking, then it only penetrates my psyche. But that's the thing I would like for people to. To, to realize when you when it when when you're telling them the harmful effects of smoking, that somehow they can grasp that, and never just push it behind them. Oh, oh, I want another cigarette instead of looking at the harmful effects of of smoking. You're listening to what's next. Uh, I'm here with Dr. Andrew Hyland and Herman, um, a, a d director of the New York State Smokers Quit Line and a participant in the in the program. Uh, and I'm, I'm sorry to bring in race. I mean, we, we'd like to have those uncomfortable conversations. And, and some of our critics, whoever they may be, or might be doing a straw man here, but I, I, I like to play devil's advocate. <laughs> and I can, I can imagine, oh, you guys make everything about race. But the numbers, look no further than the numbers. There's 73% of black individuals who smoke, want to quit smoking. And then primarily, the numbers of, of deaths. There's 45,000 deaths of black Americans every year because of heart disease, cancer, and strokes, all byproducts of, of tobacco use. Um, and, it, and when you look at how it's, it's targeted, how, it, it, how companies disproportionately target minority communities, uh, their advertising, their presence uh, in, in billboards and advertising, thankfully we're, we're past that. We've, we've outlawed that. But it's, it used to be where it was, you'd get special pricing, in certain communities, you advertise in black publications, uh, HBCUs and other community events were, were also funded by by tobacco. Uh, so it, it's targeted marketing, plain and simple. Um, and then when you add the issues of systemic racism and health inequity, health system inequity, it's why you see, I think, a lot of these disproportionate numbers. So uh, once again, I'm sorry to bring race into it, but it, it it's clearly something that they, the companies know what they're doing in, in reaching out, in, in making menthol and flavor, menthol flavored cigarettes a, a, a pushing point to, to communities. Um, I wanted to mention we're a long ways away from, from the 60s, the aforementioned 60s, uh, smoking restaurants, theaters, practically everywhere, that's gone. Uh, there's big changes in, in laws. Uh, 
Um, Dr. Hyland, you mentioned that there's an that there's an FDA lawsuit, correct? Uh, currently, that that's hope, hopefully it's 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 statewide and and um, and and countywide and certain specific that that menthol sales are are being restricted. Yeah, yeah. See, a lot to unpack in in there. I think certainly, <laughs> certainly to consider the the role of the industry. They're they're trying to maximize profits. Mm-hmm. You know, so they're looking at ways that they can do that. And 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 you named a number of ways that are there. And I think that's just really the bottom line. They're looking to maximize profits. Menthol menthol cigarettes are sold in lots of countries. It's only in the U.S. where one population segment has such a, a disproportionate use. The 80 percent of uh, people who uh, African Americans who smoke use menthol cigarettes. It's just it's like off the charts. And it, uh, I, I I think you're onto something that that kind of marketing targeted pricing strategies historically you know have I mean there's industry documents from there files that show their marketing plans how to reach african-american uh, tobacco users so i want to make sure by the way that i i source my 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 numbers they're from they're from the american lung association so it's not just it's not just any old uh rinky dink uh organization coming up with these numbers it's it's a it's mm-hmm. a tried and tested uh organization that's been around for a while trying to combat this very thing mm-hmm. um did and, and as you mentioned, uh, Herman, like you saw it around your your population, your friends, and uh, it's stopping that where 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 it's really prevalent that I think we we need to we need to focus on. Is there anything that we could do now that you or rather, let me rephrase that: Is there anything that you'd like to see be done to hopefully curb it even even further? I'll start with you, well, Andrew. Okay. Well, sure. And this is where, you know, there, there's like, you know, a couple of points. And so it's not one approach and that's the only way. Certainly look at the industry and trying to, you know, there's a flavored product that kills half of its users uh, prematurely, you know. So mm-hmm. there's no other consumer product like that. And you think of it in those terms, it's outrageous that we, you know, we let that happen. But there's also, you know, there's sort of bottom up, like the individual to say, okay, I'm gonna, regardless of what else is going on, and that's what I heard from some of, some of your words, Herman, that, you know, I'm, I'm gonna do this, and, and it doesn't matter what other people think, or because only I can take responsibility mm-hmm. for my, right. you know, for my, so I think the work, that those two approaches work kind of synergistically together. Mm-hmm. Um, at the at the higher at the sort of policy level, there are some things that are happening in New York State. Uh, last uh, last year, there was a, a bill that would ban menthol cigarettes. Uh, there are uh, two other states that have adopted a menthol cigarette ban already. Um, several countries, the European Union, mm-hmm. Canada, they've all banned menthol cigarettes. Uh, terrible things didn't happen, other than more people quit smoking. Um, we project that a, a U.S. menthol cigarette ban would prevent 633,000 premature deaths and a, almost a quarter million fewer uh, premature deaths in African Americans. Uh, so currently the, here in the state, how how do we where do we where do we stand? Yeah, so so it, New York State is about I don't know five percent or so of the national population, so you could scale those numbers down. So it, it would be many thousands of of lives saved 
with that kind of policy, all through, uh, mostly through people quitting uh, more quickly and also with fewer kids starting because we know the menthol flavor is an important factor. Kids who start with a menthol product are more likely mm. to continue to use the tobacco products when we track them. Mm. The year. So that's what's happening at New York, at the New York state level. There's also a federal level, the, the Center for Tobacco Products, which is part of the FDA. Mm -hmm. They have a, uh, a draft rule that will ban menthol cigarettes and also ban all flavored cigars, which is uh, mm. similar um, right now, there's no rules. You get cherry flavor, vanilla flavor. There's uh, yeah, no rules at all on there. So that those rules are expected to be finalized uh, pretty soon, and then uh, and then we'll see. So it's a two-year process. There's public comment. The rules are revised, but uh, they have a public health mandate. So we'll see how that unfolds. I would expect when those rules get finalized, there, the industry will litigate, and then it'll be up to the courts to decide. And that's probably going to take a while, which is why it's important if New York State uh, wants to take on this issue, wants to try to reduce the health disparities uh, that caused by uh, cigarette smoking, mm -hmm. um, then that's the opportunity for them to revisit, revisit that issue in the next session. Mm -hmm. Herman, I, let me backtrack a bit. It's a it's a white, black, brown, everybody brown. problem. But we were having a conversation right before we started speaking. I want to reiterate that for 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 now for the audience. You see these numbers, but what is it that that needs to be done in order to hopefully c combat this? Well, um, your information, just statistics, they show that. They are true that the black community is targeted, but in the information and and uh, in, in talking to everyone, and, and especially blacks, they have to realize that whatever they use cigarettes for, to fill the void, to calm their nerves, to relieve some stress or tension, but the problem is a lot deeper, religion, education, jobs, self-esteem, all these are tools that we must be cognizant of to help us overcome and do and, or, or any situation. Life is life, but we don't want to become. We don't want to make ourselves victims, or we don't want to use an excuse for our failures. But I would like the black community to believe in themselves. Take the facts that they are that are given them and say, "Oh wow, you're targeting me. I'm not going to fall victim to this." Regardless of what satisfaction I get out of this, think of your kids. You don't want your kids to smoke. You don't want your kids to do anything detrimental, and then just disseminate this information amongst yourselves and feel like you used and abused. But at the, at the final end, you're letting yourself be misused. I did it to myself, but the light came on for whatever reason. I chose for the light to come on for me to realize that the black community has to take a stand and then fight against being unfavorably targeted and just don't become a victim. Very poignant, 
Very wonderfully stated, Herman. Thank you so much. Uh, gentlemen, I, I, I can't thank you enough for, for the work you're doing, Herman, for sharing your story. And, and I think it, it's important because there are folks in, in, in similar situations, worse situations that need to just be reminded. I think that's where it comes down to. Some folks don't have that support system around them. Thankfully, there are programs and initiatives like the New York State Smokers Quit Line that, that you found and others are finding. And I just want to give some more time to, to properly uh, uh, give you all, uh, first off, kudos, but also the opportunity to just remind folks how can they get involved, where can they go, how can they seek out help. Oh, yeah. Well, thanks so much, Lorenzo. Yeah. I, so today, making the decision for to, uh, for t uh, today to be your first smoke-free day, you know, for the rest of your life, best decision you can make out there. So if, if people are out there looking for help or maybe a, a friend or family member, uh, the New York State Smokers Quit Line, the easiest thing is to Google it. Google New York. I've heard of that. New York, yeah, the, the Google machine. New York <laughs> State Smokers Quit Herman Line. Herman told me New about York it. Quit Line. And... Uh, uh, phone number one eight six six NY quits. You can text us to uh, text quit now to three 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 eight eight eight. You can go to the website nysmokefree.com. Lots of options there. Simplest is to Google it. Um, on the website, there's materials. So if if you're just exploring, you're thinking about it, but you're not sure, great spot. See lots of information. Our text. Uh, program quit now to three 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 eight 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 is it's uh, six weeks skill building. Herman talked about some of the some of the skills he learned. A lot of it is thinking about the future, you mm -hmm. know, and to and to help prepare you for those tough spots. Uh, there's uh, no required interaction with humans, uh, especially post COVID. But you can always just basically click a button and you can you can get uh, connected to one of our. Uh, live tobacco treatment specialists uh, there. And then telephone, again, like right now, people could pick up the phone and uh, uh, most hours we've got people working and waiting, uh, waiting to help people, it's what they do. And Andrew, I believe that there's, you're, you're evolving the, the, the smokers quit line into and in, in branching out into new initiatives and, and new uh, projects, uh, one of them being Community Connect. Can you elaborate a little bit of what that is? Yeah, sure. Uh, uh, Community Connect, there's actually two programs that, uh, sort of, uh, that are related to that one. Community Connect, it's, it's really, it's working with community-based organizations to try to uh, have their awareness about the quit line and its services raised. Uh, we work with healthcare providers all over the state, pretty much every healthcare provider we've had contact with. Uh, throughout the state, and many of them uh, provide uh, education, awareness. Some refer uh, their patients that use tobacco to us. So we have those relationships, and that makes sense uh, uh, to do. Uh, but there's lots of other community-based organizations that are reaching real people, often in circumstances that you know where they could use a little boost, whether uh, whether it's through homeless shelters or. Uh, other other providers of different kinds of services. So, um, so we're starting a program where we're uh, reaching out to uh, community-based organizations. That, so, yeah, that basically can yep. extend out into the and see see if we can uh, work and provide them with information, and then and then ideally, if they're working with some of their clients, uh, 
uh, who might be identified as using tobacco to basically literally in that setting, in those community-based organizations, to have them access our services, uh, whether it's through the website or have them call like right on the spot. So it's a way to, to reach out, expand, um, and also to reach the communities and the people that maybe need the most, the most help. Um, the other component to this is uh, working with uh, training people to provide, to be mm. tobacco treatment mm-hmm. specialists. So all of the people that we have working at the Quit Line that help people like Herman go through a week-long uh, nationally certified tobacco treatment specialist training Excellent. program, which were one of uh, just a few accredited sites uh, to, li- to deliver those trainings. So Roswell Park is contributing um, in-kind resources for scholarships for people to attend those trainings, and we're prioritizing people that serve communities that have been traditionally underserved or bear a disproportionate burden from from smoking. So whether it's African-American communities or LGBTQ plus communities. Uh, so again, providers that are working in those areas that want to gain those skills uh, to really deal with the nicotine dependence and some of the nuances there, a week-long training course. We're just in the forming stages mm-hmm. uh, of this, so more information will be coming out when those uh, trainings will be offered, and uh, we'd be happy to come back on the show hey, and talk always, talk more about that and how people can get engaged. In, in you're those always programs. welcome on on this program. Uh, mm-hmm. It's great. You're, you're combating targeted marketing with more targeted marketing with education. With We're education, trying to yes. you know shine have that be the, the you know the sunlight. Yep. Excellent. You've all covered covered all bases. Um, Tony Astron in in particular. Uh, he was mentioned earlier, and I didn't bring him into the conversation. He's just hanging out here in the, in the shadows. But but he's the gentleman that 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 uh, brought this this great program to my attention, and uh, I'm 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 grateful that we are given the opportunity to to, to hopefully uh, uh, let others know that that it exists. Um, everything from from nicotine replacement medication, therapy medication, patches, gum, lozenges. Uh, the, the, you got the chat, you've got the the text, and you forgot one word that I think is most enticing. It's free. Yeah, free. You, you yeah, just, yeah, yeah. The, the F word. Everyone loves. Everyone loves something <laughs> uh-huh. free. And and this, it's great that this vital uh, tool and and assistance is is just that accessible and free. Uh, gentlemen, thank you so very thank much you. again for for making the time, sharing what you're doing, and sharing your stories. Um, I appreciate it. Thank you, Lorenzo. You're listening to What's Next here on WBFO and WBFO HD1 Buffalo, WOLN Olean, and WUBJ Jamestown, your NPR station.